Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of the best to ever do it, Danita Sparks of the Legends, the Legends L7 is on the show. More on that in one second, but first, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you so much, Tristan, for all your hard work on the show. And he will get the message to me or he'll communicate with you or whatever you need, whatever you need. If you're looking to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. If you'd like to support this podcast, the best way of doing that is just by telling everyone, you know, about this thing. And also there's a Patreon page at turned out a punk Patreon or patreon.com slash turn out a punk. I think it's patreon.com slash turn out a punk. And there are, are these gift packages that I've packaged up that are going out to some of the, uh, the Patreons there's bonus podcasts and the like over there. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can also write a review or rate it on your podcast, listening to platform of choice. Because there's a lot out there right now, you know, and uh, and yeah, and just tell all your friends. Let everyone you know that uh, likes this thing or this kind of thing that we'd be doing around here know that we're doing it around here and to check it out. And that's how you support it. That's all we need, you know. And then speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans Shoes. Vans came aboard a couple years ago and said, Damien. Do what you do, just don't do it out of your pocket. Book whoever you want to book, and and that's what I've been doing, and it's been it's been awesome. And now I'm going on this great DIY spirit of DIY tour with uh, that they're you know helping fund with all these great bands playing, and I will have more on that in the coming weeks. But believe me, it's gonna get awesome. It's gonna get awesome with all this stuff going on around here at Turned Out of Punk, and a lot of that's thanks to the great people at Vans. So thank you, Vans, for. Everything. And I can't wait to see all my buds, you know, Brooke and, and Chuck and, and all the homies. So it's going to be a fun time. Speaking of fun times, right now I am I'm not having a lot of fun times. I've got a bit of a cold. Um, you know, it's, it's all in my head. But, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Because this week on MTV Canada, it's the last week of The Wrestlers. So we will... You know, we're going to um, blow our noses and, and get some rest and get ready because we want to be better to watch the wrestlers. And I think it's three more episodes, but they're, they're wild. This is in Canada. If you're in America, it's on demand. Now, if you're in the UK, I think it's on demand. So check out the wrestlers, check out what, what was like a year of my life, you know, more like five years of my life kind of poured into it, <laughs> but it, you know, it was like a, a good year of traveling for it. And, uh, yeah, really stoked on, on what we did. When I say we, I don't mean the Royal, we, I mean all the people involved in the show because, as much as I get to take the credit by being the face of it, I really was not the labor. That's Salazar Films and, and Yuji and Colin and Grady and anyway, anyway, uh, that is the Wrestlers TV series that you can check out wherever you want on Viceland, on Viceland near you. So you know, go online, just Google it. You'll you'll find tons of stuff. Well, I can't delay it anymore. So here is the show this week, everyone. Danita Sparks from L7, a legend, a legend of underground music, a legend of rock and roll, certainly a legend of punk rock music, someone who I've wanted to have on the show forever. 
Tristan, you know, show booker, brother extraordinaire, went out and, and got in touch and, and made it all happen. So thank you just for making it happen. Uh, I'm a huge L7 fan. L7 was one of the first bands I, I really got into as a kid. I can remember my my very first girlfriend giving me a, a tape that on one side was just two hours of the radio taped, and on the second side it was like an L7 mixtape. And yeah, I remember going to see him at the Warped Tour. There's just so many memories tied around this band for me. So the, getting the opportunity to talk to to you know uh, Danita was just a, a huge thrill and a huge honor. And, and something I will never, uh, you know, and I sound like I'm overselling it here, but something that I'm, I'm never going to take for granted how many cool opportunities I've gotten through this podcast, not, not just playing in a band actually, but, but specifically through this podcast to kind of sit down and, and ask these sorts of questions that I've wondered for years. Like I've wondered for years where L7 kind of came out of in, in the LA music scene. And you'll hear it now. This is a really cool conversation. Now, I'm going on a bit because I'm avoiding telling you about the bummer. The bummer is we were plagued, plagued by connection issues in the beginning. Do not worry. It does not affect the quality of the podcast, but it did cut into some of the time. So this is sadly way shorter than it should have been. There was a lot more places to go. But spoiler alert, she will be back for a part two. And, and you know, maybe a part three or four down the line too, because this is someone I can't wait to talk to you more. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy a legend, a legend, Danita Sparks on Turned Out a Punk. Danita, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure, Damien. Well, as I was just telling you off air, I've been a, a longtime fan and got to see you again after all these years last year. So this is a huge thrill to get you finally on the show. Right on. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be in the mix, man. <laughs> well, get ready to, to get nerdy, but I got to start them out the way I start this show always out, which is, Danita, how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. Um... Uh, my sister came home from college with a Ramones album. I um, was fortunate enough to have older sisters with really great taste in music. But when I heard the Ramones uh, album, I was um, I stopped in my tracks because it was so fast and catchy and youthful. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I found my band. I found my band. So, uh, yeah. And I loved that the um, I loved that the that their lyrics were very demented and funny, and uh, you know they 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 were not they did not go the political route. They went the um, you know demented route and the fun route. Where did you kind of uh, what like what were you into before you found you know your band? Like what were there other rock bands you were into or other stuff you were into? I was into. Um, the Stones, I've always been a Stones freak. Uh, I liked Bowie. I liked, you know, stuff my sisters would play around the house. Um, uh, I would say I was, I've always been uh, a rock and roller, but I, I also, um, you know, uh, growing up, I liked uh, soul and disco and funk uh, as well. Where were you buying records at that time? Was there like a local store that you were kind of hitting up? Uh, there was a store in my home suburb. 
uh, called Tempo Records. And so I would buy records there or, you know, at the, uh, it was called Kmart back then. Yes, uh, yes. Not uh, Walmart. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'd buy records there. Uh, I bought the Partridge Family there. I bought Sha Na Na there. That's when I was a little kid. And then um, as time went on, I went to the local kind of head shop slash record store called Tempo Records. Okay. Was was anyone else in your house playing music at this time or were you playing music at this time? Well, uh my dad would um uh play drum beats. He he was a drummer, not like a rock drummer. He he was a sort of a military style drummer. Okay. So he, he was uh he was constantly uh playing on the cutting board and such, uh just rattling. You know, he was quite a good drummer with that <laughs> stuff. It was really cool. But um and then uh, my sister had an electric guitar, and she was kind of starting to uh, fool around with playing uh, scales and things like that. And um, that's sort of when I picked up guitar. I guess like that's where the need for speed comes in, because I guess like the drum beats your dad would have been playing would have been pretty fast. Yeah, I, I do like uh, I, I do have some of those things stuck in my head, and. Uh, you know, they, they were cool syncopated beats, you know, mm-hmm. there's something um, about those rudiments. Yes, totally. And, and he, uh, wanted me to be a drummer and, uh, but all he ever got me was one of those little practice pads, you know? Yeah. So I, I just never, it never stuck, you know? Uh, but probably if I had had a kit, I would have enjoyed that a lot, but then I picked up guitar anyway. So, um, which suits me better because, uh, I'm a performer and so I've got to be out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, so where did you kind of go? Was it actually, were you playing guitar story before or after you first heard the Ramones? Um, I think I started playing after I heard the Ramones because I sort of, once I figured out how to play Ramones, then that was my, that was my stopping point. <laughs> I stopped <laughs> I stopped taking guitar lessons. As soon as I could form a bar chord and figured out I could play any Ramones song with that bar chord, uh, you know, formation of my hand, mm-hmm. then I stopped, then I stopped taking lessons. And I've kind of stayed in that same space for the last 40 years. That's really all you need. Like, honestly. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's all I kind of need, but, um, you know, I, I play leads but they're very rudimentary, mm-hmm. sort of very melodic sort of leads. Uh, but, um, you know, the loud power chord uh, is is the ticket for me. So where did you kind of go after you heard the Ramones? Like, what was your next move? Were you already kind of going to concerts before this? Um, I had seen the Stones, Some Girls Tour. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And then uh, – my next concert after that um, was uh, after I heard the Ramones, and that was Elvis Costello. And then I saw, you know, Talking Heads, the Cramps, the B-52s, Blondie, um, the Beach Boys I've seen many times. Mm-hmm. Um, always loved them. Uh, the, um, you know, so I was kind of in the popular fair of the day, uh, you know, late 70s stuff. What were the cramps like live at that point? 
Um, they were opening, I think they were opening for the Talking Heads. Maybe the B-52s, I'm not sure. Okay. But, uh, you know, pretty much what they've always been. Yeah. Which was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, shocking. <laughs> and um, very cool and intriguing. Yeah, because of all the bands you mentioned, like, obviously, sonically, they're all, all progressive and things like that. But, I mean, like, the Cramps seemed like they would have been the one that visually would have been unlike anything else. B-52s, too. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, the B-52s had them beat. But uh, still, you know. And, and, and the Ramones were visually stunning as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they all had they all, they all were bringing something visually to the table as well, which I always liked about um, th- that kind you know, the punk rock that I like, which is really um, bands that have originality, mm-hmm. not bands that buy shit off the rack or, <laughs> you know, have a certain look. You know, yeah, yeah. one time I was, this one time I was grilled by this young woman because I don't have any tattoos. And she was like, well, that's not punk. <laughs> and it's like, it's not <laughs> really because, you know, it seems to me, like now it's pretty, you know, conforming to get a tattoo, to mm-hmm. feel like you need a tattoo to be a punk rocker. You know what I mean? So it's just like the, these rules and regulations of, of, of how one must dress or how long or short your hair is. You know, uh, I've never been a conformist in those things. In fact, as soon as it gets on trend, I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't follow trends. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, like it definitely seems like punk also at a certain point gets codified because all the bands you're saying, like you saw, like, you know, they they were all at one point called punk bands. Yeah, I mean, I still call them punk bands. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, certainly they were call- they were all called new wave bands at the time. Even mm-hmm. the Ramones were called part of the new wave. So um, new wave just meaning the new wave of music. It wasn't even like meaning synthesizers at that time. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just like punk was interchangeable with new wave the way I recall it, you know? Mm-hmm. So where'd you kind of go uh, from there? Were there actually any local bands that you saw opening for these, these bands at the time? No, they were doing national tours with, mm-hmm. a, you know, an, a, an opener, you know, I mean, I, God, I, I would see, God, I would see Iggy at really small places, um, you know, but at the same time, I, you know, um, I saw the Rock Cats at a really small place. Um, so I was, I was, I was like in, in, into rockabilly. I was into Motown. I was into funk and disco and you know i i like everything so long as it's good mm-hmm. there's a lot of crap in every category you know i i, I have discerning tastes and uh you know um it, it, it's you know i don't it's not like i'm i love this kind of music it's like you know uh you know i love punk if it's good there's a lot of shit punk out oh there. absolutely but, oh you know absolutely so I don't, I don't live and die by punk, you mm-hmm. know, it's more of an attitude to me, you know, mm-hmm. do you consider L7 a punk band? Um, sure. In our essence, we're punk, we're punk rockers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, where did you kind of go from, uh, like they're seeing these bands live? Like, you know, you're playing music at this point. Do you have a band form Were there other kids around you, your age that were into this stuff too? Nobody was into this stuff. I had, <laughs> I had one. Nobody was into it. I had one friend I used to go to concerts with, 
who I went to high school with. There were a couple girls actually uh, in my high school that would uh, we would go to concerts together. But you know, they also liked the Grateful Dead. Yeah. So that was the Dead were a deal breaker for me, even though I re- <laughs> I respect their career, I respect their legacy. Um, I was never a deadhead. And like, that's where I kind of drew the line. Like I, I am not into the dead. And these other friends that I had that would go see punk shows with me were into the Grateful Dead. So it was just like, okay, well, that's where I separate from you guys. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was still part of the old guard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What was it about the dead specifically that, you know, you just think you had the aversion to? I think it had kind of a, like a mellow country, like not a hundred percent country, just kind of a, you know, just a, it was too hippie for my taste. Yeah. I can, I can totally understand that. And Um, when, when, you know, back then when you became a punk, you were sort of at war with that old guard, you know, mm -hmm. and there were very few bands that would actually um, survive through that. The Rolling Stones being one of them that survived, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Lou Reed survived. Bowie survived. There were, there were, um, you know, but everybody else, you know, was, was Squaresville. Yeah. At that time. Um, so when did you start meeting other people that were like-minded other than, you know, the, the one friend that you would go to shows with? Um, I started going to dance clubs, um, on the North side of Chicago. Okay. I would travel from the suburbs and go all the way to the North side in, a, in crappy cars and um, that would often break down in the winter. But um, I would go dancing at like uh, new wave clubs. Um, uh, you know, in, so in addition to concert goings, I, I loved to dance and I would go out dancing all the time. And, you know, I had a fake ID and these club, these dance clubs were open till like four in the morning, you know? So, um, that was always really fun. And at those clubs, they played a mix. They played Motown. They played, you know, Joy Division. And they played, uh, you know, uh, fucking Gene Vincent and, um, and, and everything in between. So it was, it was uh, always an eclectic mix. And that's, that's kind of my taste. At these dance clubs, you're meeting other kids that are like-minded at this point. Is it like... At this point, have you started playing? Have you formed your first band? Um, no, I uh, I did not. Uh, I, I formed a band for a high school talent show, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the only thing we did. We were on acid, and we played um, <laughs> we played uh, we played uh, Surf in USA, and it was terrible, uh, <laughs> absolutely god awful. I was on guitar. My friend was on bass and I had a couple other friends playing Boncos and, and we were, <laughs> it was a disaster. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, I wasn't like following the Chicago scene mm-hmm. per se as far as bands because I, I, I wasn't that into any of them uh, that, that I had seen or heard of. You know, I was kind of more, I liked the New York stuff. I liked some of the London stuff. Um you know, I was kind of snooty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I can totally see that. And well, and also it's just Chicago. It's, it's like a, a very different scene, you know, like it's not like it's, it's uh, like, there, I can't think of too many, like the subverts are not too many first wave bands. Like it's not like LA or New York, as you're saying, where there's just like a deluge of bands, it seems of all different styles or even, even Atlanta, Athens. 
Yeah, and you know, like like um, you know, the bands that I did hear of, like it, they were just very kind of. Um, I suppose it was on the cusp of hardcore punk, yeah. which has never been my bag. I, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not really into hardcore punk. I can't dance to it. It's just not my scene. I mean, there. Of course, there are some bands that are good from that genre, but as a whole, I thought that that's when it got kind of stock. You know, I thought it got kind of predictable and it wasn't as exciting. It wasn't very exciting for me, and it it also got very male, and it got very um, um, white male heterosexual. A little too much of that for my taste. I, I like I like more of a mix. Mm-hmm. And you and you hear that echoed very much. So like there's a point like '82, right? Like it's a, there's a codification that happens, and you hear about in LA when all the the Orange County bands kind of came in, and how it just changed the scene completely. And and just as you say, became like a real white male kind of violence to it. Yeah, which has never been my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really experienced that when I moved to LA, I moved to LA in early 1983 and, yeah. um, there was a lot of that going on and I was like, wow, I don't dig this like at all, you know? And, yeah. and the boys would be in the pit and the girls would be holding their jackets and it was like, wow, this is like really not my bag, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. So what happens, like, when is the change in your mind where like, do you like, or is there a change point that you feel where like things started to kind of shift again and then, you know, and, and things felt different? Well, um, you know, I, Susie Gardner and I started L7 and we, we were on the art punk scene in LA. So we were hanging out with the artists and the, and those freaks, you know, and, um, so it was very different. There were like all different kinds of bands in that scene and uh, performance artists, drag queens, cabarets, you know, people were putting out all kinds of shows, you know, and um, so that's where we're from. And it was it was so um, some of it was very cerebral. Mm-hmm. Some of it was very um, uh, just a little some of it was kind of pretentious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Susie and I just decided, hey, let's do like a like a hard rock band in the middle of all this kind of art punk stuff. And so it was just weird enough to be um, unique, you know, uh, amongst this group that we were in, you know. Yeah. Like what were what, like, was it centered around any specific club or what was kind of like the the nexus of the scene that you were coming out of? Oh, God, there were places like anti-club and there was you know Raji came later um and that was pretty pretty straight rock and roll pre-grunge stuff you know um I don't know like uh you know a lot of art galleries I guess <laughs> we were going to shows at um yeah I don't know the, me- the memory is 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 a bit foggy <laughs> no worries was was Jabberjaw one of them Jabberjaw came later. Okay. Jabber, Jabberjaw opened, I think, in like 1991, and we started in 85. Oh, wow. So okay. We, way before. Absolutely. Yeah, we were way before. And like Susie and I at different times had both worked at the LA Weekly, um, and that, that had a lot of artists working there. It was kind of the village voice of LA. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, you know, all kinds of writers 
artists, performers of all kinds uh, working there. So it was it was kind of a cool uh, place to be and a place to get to know people because I didn't really know anybody in L.A. And so I got really lucky by hooking into that group of people because um, I got turned on to a lot of cool stuff, you know. And then I became part of the scene. And then, you know, L7 uh, became part of the scene. And then we broke out into the rock scene and the punk scene and, and, and everything else. So we, we crossed over into a lot of different scenes, which was great. And then grunge came along. And that's really where we sort of uh, found another, another home, you know. Like, what were the early days of the band like? Like, had you already kind of found the sound? Because, like, I guess the first song comes out on the Melting Pot comp, right? In, like, 88? Or is that um, the same time as the LP, I guess? Uh, was that the first track that came out? I don't know. And I think that that was a cover. I think we covered Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. But yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's, a, that's a cover. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think that um, uh, we were doing compilations and... Flipside Magazine was into us, and they put out a compilation record as well that we were on okay. called City of L.A. or LA, City of L.A. Power or something like that. Oh, it's a picture disc, yeah. I think? Yeah, it of is. Of a sewer grate, I believe? Yes, yeah. Uh, one of the like first records cap. I ever bought. It's like a sewer cap, right? Yeah, I, absolutely. I still have it. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe even before that, or maybe around the same time, our first album on Epitaph Records came out, which... That came out in 1987, and uh, it kind of went nowhere, uh, but we opened up for Bad Religion on a national tour in 1988. So that was kind of the first time we, you know, got out of L.A., sort of. Jay Bentley was recently on the show, and he actually said that the L7 LP is the first true epitaph record that they released. Ah, like Very interesting. It, I guess before that, it was through Caroline. They had distribution, and this was the first time that they actually like had put out a record record. Oh, I did not know that. I thought No FX was the first one. No, thankfully, uh, I think you beat them to it. Huh. I don't know, but uh, we'll take that honor. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, like, and I guess, like, that's the thing, like, you'd mentioned crossing over to the LA punk scene at a certain point, and it's, you know, people have come on the show, like, you know, lots of people have come on the show from that LA scene and have talked about what a wasteland it was kind of like for bands for a long time, like, after kind of the hardcore invasion, it just kind of dies off for a long time, and it's really, you know, yourselves and bad religion that kicks off this LA punk renaissance. Well, you know, listen, um, the first week I moved to L.A., I was handed a flyer for a Circle Jerk show. So they were still going on, you know, yeah. and th there were shows happening. But I would say, like, the bands that I was gravitating towards, who I thought were really great at the time, were Red Cross mm -hmm. and, um, you know, bands that were kind of, uh, kind of playful and kind of unique in the sense that they – didn't all look alike and they, they had their own distinctive look and they were playing, you know, they had a lot of pop cultural references in their lyrics and they had long hair. They didn't look like the hardcore guys. They, they looked quite, um, you know, uh, not like sunset strip glam, but just like long haired yeah. cute boys, you know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah. 
Where where were like um so but when you well seven starts playing, like what are the shows you're playing with? Are you playing with like bands like Red Cross or the Circle Jerks, or are you playing with like new bands? We were playing with new bands. Mm-hmm. Like we struggled. We were not hip for years. I mean, we were always we were always um we were always uh, I think appreciated by our art punk peers. Yeah. And, but we struggled for years and years. So we weren't getting cool gigs until probably like 80, 89, you know, like, because the bad religion tour, you know, we did not do our record did not do well. The bad religion, um, fans weren't super crazy about us. I mean, maybe a little bit, they, they didn't boo us or anything, but it just wasn't, you know, it was almost like when we got involved with sub pop, that's when people know what knew what to do at our shows. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh, okay. We get it. They're like long haired and they're playing distortion and some of it's kind of sludgy. Huh? Okay. We get it. You know, like, it, um, so it was really only until we, uh, got involved in that Seattle scene that, that people started going crazy at our shows. It feels like that would have been like a, well, I, once again, like a lot of people have come on the show have talked about how like there's, you know, the coming of grunge and how that's when everything really changes for, for everyone playing aggressive music. Um, yeah, but then that got really stock too, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like, if you, if you're following that, you've already missed it, you mm-hmm. know? Like, like if you're following, like, I remember we used to rehearse in this place that had like other studios in it. And over the years we would hear bands that sounded like so-and-so next to us. And then everybody started to sound like Nirvana and Pearl Jam (laughs) next to us. And then everybody started to sound like Green Day next to us. It was this whole like, um, and it seemed like, like it was, it was, it was a lot of musicians, a lot of guys who were kind of, floundering because the you know the the hard rock scene was so turned on its head like mm-hmm. the whole um heavy metal scene was completely had the rug pulled out from under it and and all those guys who could really shred didn't know what to do with themselves because all of a sudden they were not considered cool you know so yeah. they were scrambling to be in bands that sounded like nirvana but it's like sorry you can't sound like nirvana because there's only one of them so you've got to get a it, you, you have to do something else there's only one you know so do something else so uh but uh, sadly a lot of those guys maybe originality wasn't their strong suit no but I, I guess those weren't the bands. I mean, but the, the, it seems like post Nirvana, I meant more on like a structural level. Things changed. Like it seems like that was the establishment of almost like more of an alternative music circuit and, you know, alternative music press and alternative music radio. Um, you know, and, and like, it seems like the mainstream took notice almost of, of, you know, the larger alternative scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, probably Nirvana was the only band that could do it because mm-hmm. they were so good, you know, um, and their songs were so undeniable and they so, um, did not really care at all about the heavy metal scene or about fitting into hard rock scene. They were just kind of their own, you know? Like, yeah, you mentioned like none, no other band could have, you know, broken through like the way they broke through. Like, did you know the first time you heard them that there was going to be something like that? Like they were going to be able to achieve, you know, maybe not the meteoric heights they did achieve, but that they were going to be able to break through. Um, 
I know that the first time I heard them, I thought that they were great. And that was um, uh, their album, um, Bleached. Is it Bleach or Bleach? Bleach. I think, I think right? Yeah, Bleach. Is it Bleach? Um, yeah, when I heard those songs, I was like, oh, God, this is the best band out there. You know, yeah. like, you know, um, they were probably my favorite band of that, you know, one of my favorites of that era. Um, and you mentioned like, you know, getting onto sub pop and how that's when things kind of changed and people knew what to do with the band a little bit more. Uh, what was that like? Did you, you tour up to Seattle or was there like, was that on that first bad religion tour? Uh, I don't think we played Seattle on, on the bad religion sh- uh, tour. We, um, we played Seattle. We had met these guys in this band called Cat Butt, and they were uh, one of the guys worked at Sub Pop, and we played some shows with them, and we played up in Seattle with them. And the guys that owned Sub Pop came to see the show, and they saw us and asked if we wanted to do a singles club uh, single. So we put out um, with them uh, the first single of the 90s, on Sub Pop, which was January 1990, and uh, that was uh, our song Shove, uh, which became kind of an underground hit. Yeah. Did you know when you wrote that song that that song was going to be the single type thing? Like, Because it, it is such a, it's such a catchy song. Yeah, I would say that, that was, um, what was cool about that song was that that was the first song that I recall that Susie and I were writing about our own personal experience as opposed to trying to write stuff that wasn't really, that was just kind of stock rock, you know, uh, this was something that was actually, you know, the landlord truly did not like my dog. My father did truly think that I was nowhere and I did not comb my hair. So, you know, like (laughs) all those, all those lyrics are, are, are true. And so I think that it resonated with people and that was kind of, um, that was the connection. And, and did it change for the band? Like did, right away, was there like an immediate sort of shift in reception once that single came out or did once again, take a little bit longer? Uh, it was right away when people heard it, they really, they really liked it. A lot of our peers liked it, you know, other bands. And, uh, we got, um, over to Europe. We did a tour of Europe over there on that record. And in fact, did we open for, and we opened for Nirvana in England. Was it that tour? I can't, no, no, I can't remember. No, it wasn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, we got over to Europe, uh, on that single. How different was that Pacific Northwest scene at that time than from that LA scene that you're kind of coming out of? Um, I would say that they, they had a real, Pacific Northwest look going yeah. on. Yeah. Flannel shirts, ripped jeans. You know, L7 always looked a bit more punk than that. We we had a little more style than um you know, we had we had more of a mashup style. Uh but the um the the bands up there, they were mostly guy bands. Uh there was there was a lot of um uh, there was a lot of uh, energy and a lot of um, it was a tight it was a tight scene but a strong scene and it was kind of uh, it was just very much their own like LA is kind of um, in a cool way polluted by many other parts of the country uh, as is New York but that was very kind of um, 
Seattle specific sound and scene up there, which was really cool. Yeah, you definitely hear that a lot, that it's almost like something that was bred out of isolation. Yeah, and and depression mm-hmm. and rain and cold. Yeah. And you know what I mean? There's yeah. there's there's a depressive element to grunge. Uh I think more so than punk, you know. Uh punk there's like a lot of I mean there's a lot of anger in both or can have a lot of anger in both, but but there's something de- depressive about grunge and uh you know, Seattle's got it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's also, it's like, not even just like, you know, it's like even bands from Portland too, like uh, the wipers. And there's just like a, a general kind of like eeriness to a lot of the punk that was coming out of there. There's a malaise. A mala- You're right. That's the perfect way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you know, once again, you seem like, you know, and I want to say you seem like, I mean, L7 seems like a, a band that really, you know, exists in so many different scenes that like, was there ever one place that felt most at home for the band or is it really just being your, your, you know, your own camp? Oh man. When we're, when we're on the road, especially in the U S it's amazing because each, each city is a different trip and each city, the scene is slightly different, but um, like if you take the Texas, any, any city in Texas, like take, take Austin, Versus New York City, mm-hmm. two different scenes, but both a blast for different reasons. And um, you know, we we made many good friends in in different cities, and uh, we're fortunate that we were embraced by most of those scenes that had uh, lo- you know local flavor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Th- those were fun times. I hope bands still have those kind of networks out there you know like we would sleep on people's floors and you know Soundgarden had been there the week before sleeping on the same floor that kind of thing you know these these people who would put you up in in their homes um around the country and it it became this whole like interconnect interconnected uh happening Mm -hmm. you know and something that got handed down from generations, like, you know, my, my band was sleeping on people's floors and, and I'm, and, you know, once again, like you said, I'm, I know it goes on today that there's still bands that are, are kind of like, you know, people in the, the town kind of handed down the punk house to the next wave of kids and the next wave of kids and the scenes changed and the bands have changed. But that, that concept I think is the coolest thing about punk that, that kind of survives. I hope it does. I'm glad to hear that it does. Uh, you know, we, we don't do, we don't do the floor tours yes. anymore. It would be very bad on the back. God bless those who do. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's good to know because a lot of the people that, that we knew, right. They, I, and you know, what's weird too, though, is like a lot of the gentrification yeah. all around the country has changed things too, because I don't know if those punk houses exist anymore, even if they were passed down, maybe, you know, 15 years ago, maybe not so much anymore because, uh, rents are so high and everybody's, everybody's taken over the neighborhoods, you know? Yeah. And it's almost sadly like punk is, is, uh, one of the lichens of gentrification, like a punk venue moves in and then a coffee shop moves in. And then next thing you know, it's, it's a, it's a condo. Right. And the, and the 
the punk house is no longer in the city. It's no. out in the burbs somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sadly, that's probably the uh, the one thing that has changed is where these things have to exist. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing that I've always wanted to talk about is because I think it's one of the most underlooked seven inch compilations, and seven inch compilations are something we we obsess over on this show. Is the yeah. the Teriyaki Volume Three comp? Uh, wow. Where, where you guys do the Bloodstains cover by Agent Orange? Ah, okay. Was that a band you would have seen live, or or was that just a record you kind of got into just from being around? I think Jennifer saw them live. Jennifer is from the L.A. punk scene, so she, I'm sure she saw them live. But um, I don't know if she played that song for me or if I heard it on K-Rock or, or the college radio station or something. But I just liked it because it was... Uh, uh, so surf sounding. I love surf music. And so it just really had that, you know, that trip for me. And I was like, let's cover bloodstains. You know? yeah. And then, you know, I wasn't even making the, the connection of like menstruation blood, but now I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's those kind of bloodstains. So, but I, ne- I didn't even make a connection of that years ago, but you know, let's do it now. It works on two levels now. It does. Absolutely. Um, and what was like, what, where'd you kind of find your sound? Like you mentioned, you know, hearing the Ramones and kind of feeling that was where you need to stop. But then, you know, you, you also have these leads that, that I think really define the band in a lot of ways. Like, where did that stuff come from for you? Well, um, I love, um, simple, simplistic leads. And I also love somebody like Dick Dale yeah. who can shred, you know, and, and, the thing about Dick that I love so much is that he would add in these kind of Middle Eastern sounding um, progressions. And so I have um, uh, that has gotten into my the DNA of my playing for sure. I may I, it, I'm just way slower at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like you know once I mean? no, but I think that adds to the band's sound, too. It's like it's got like this kind of sludginess to it as well, which is like, uh, like, you know, that, 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 that is like, obviously your, your band predates grunge, but that is like when it's perfected the sound. Well, and I, I like going to half steps a lot too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, the stock thing is to go the whole step. I'll go the half step. And then that makes it sound kind of, you know, that that's makes it sound kind of L seven, you know? Yeah. So um, whether it's in the bar chord going to the half step or one of my leads going to the half step that, that adds that kind of just slight quirk, um, dissonant, but it's, it makes it, it, it's got a little bit of heaviness to it and a little bit of punk to it as well. So it's, um, you know, it's funny, uh, Susie and I are also big fans of suicidal tendencies, Mm -hmm. but we love it when they play really slow. And if you hear, like, there's a lot of L7, uh, you know, there's a lot of suicidal uh, homaging in, in L7 stuff because we loved it when they would just play the dirge, you know, the <laughs> slow dirge. That's kind of all, most of our career of what we do. You yeah. Know? Like, like, we don't go to the fast part. We just stay on the fucking slow part. So, um, and it was, it, it was really fun this summer that we got to tour with them. Because Susie and I just had smiles on our faces the whole time, like, oh my God, yeah, remember when we went to that suicidal show and like there was that riot? But like, we just loved their slow parts, you know? 
Yeah, and that's the band you always hear about had some of the, the wildest shows out of anyone. Yeah, we went to one and there was there was a, a crazy riot and I, th- I thought we were going to die and yeah. I did not like it at all. But, um, you know, uh, I suppose it was exciting once. Do you think people tend – sorry, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, do, uh, do you think people tend to romanticize that violence now a little bit? Um, I don't know. You, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask. I mean, just like when you watch things like uh, the Dogtown movie and, and like it shows people getting thrown through windows at Black Flag shows, like not it's as obviously a reenactment, but it like or, or or like in documentaries when people talk about this stuff kind of like about how crazy it was. But there's there's actual like real human cost at the other side of this craziness. Yeah, I would say that most people found that that was a um, a negative turn on the scene. Because I think that there was a lot of destruction going on with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of some of the violence I think was in response to the LAPD being such creeps as well, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore it became this kind of like it was all, probably you know it, from what it appeared to me, people would get excited to go to those concerts just because they knew the cops would show up, and it would it was almost like the riot was the top on the bill. You know, yeah. the, the riot was the headliner. Yeah. And everybody else was just the opener. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Black Flag was opening for the riot, basically, is what it fucking <laughs> sounds like it kind of <laughs> turned into. So, uh, yeah, not my scene, not my bag. Um, I honestly could punish you forever because this has been a, a long time coming for me. But I know I have to let you go. But at some point in the future, would you be willing to come on for a part two? Absolutely. Um, but before I let you go, can I ask you one more question? You can you can ask anything. I may not answer it, <laughs> but well, go for it. Uh, a, a major concert for myself and a lot of people that have once again have been on the show, as far as like another sort of major jumping on point for kids getting into punk rock is that first Warp Tour that uh, your, yourselves were on. Um, I was just wondering what your memories are of that tour. Did it feel like there was another wave of, of youth coming into things at the time? Or, you know, is that just a nightmare you prefer to wipe from your memory? Like a lot of people that were on later incarnations seem to say. I think that, you know, listen, I think that, I think the warp tour was cool. It wasn't really our bag, you know, like we're more degenerate than, <laughs> than, you know, guys riding skateboards, you know what okay. I mean? Like, we're just from, like, we're just from the, the, the city and we're not, from, you know, like the band is from the city, you know, like it, that just seemed the warp tour very, seemed very clean cut and suburban and white. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think a lot of the bands on there were cool, but it, it, it was kind of the, um, it was punk going really, really, really mainstream uh, as far as the audiences went. And they were the audiences were cute and all that, but it, it just it just didn't have that degenerate um, scuzz that I like about punk rock. You know, I like some uh, I like the I like drugs in the air. <laughs> I like you know what I mean? Oh, I like it, too. Don't get me wrong. Believe me, I put those drugs up in the air. Yeah, you know, like I, I like a little bit of like, oh, some, you know, some, some art degenerate uh, stuff going on. You know? Yeah. 
I, I think the cool thing about that first lineup, though, is that it, it once again, you know, as you're saying, it, it's a, not as reflective of sort of the homogeneous nature of the crowd. Like you have bands like yourself, you have Orange Nine Millimeter on there, you have a band like Quicksand on there. Like it, it really once again shows that sonically, it was it was kind of all over the map again for a second. Uh, no doubt we're on that tour. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. They're, right, the very first one I ever think coming Canada. Yeah, they were uh, they were they were on that tour. Um, God, who else? No use for a name. We shared a bus with them. Um, yeah, you know, listen, it, it was cool, but you know, it, it's so funny because like we felt like we were like the grand dames. <laughs> like we were probably the oldest ones on that tour. It was just like. You know, and, and that tour was, um, uh, you know, it, it financially was not doing that well. No. And so we were sharing a bus with another band, and then they threw, like, four skaters onto our bus. Like, I don't know. Oh, where. my I God. There's, there's these four skaters on there. You know, it was and, – and we were, like, you know – 15 years older than these guys. It was like, what? It's like 14 year old skateboarders, you know, like it was just a trip, but, um, they liked us. They, you know, we had fun, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it was, it was kind of clean cut, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And once again, it's like another place that your, your band winds up, like you're, you're a band that, you know, like kind of transcends any scene, you know, like just in a bunch of different scenes at all different times and still relevant in every different scene. Like, it's not like, you know, you, you found a way to kind of not fit in, but also fit in. Very strangely. You're right. I mean, it's weird. Like we go to Europe and we play, um, heavy metal festivals Mm -hmm. and we've played a few punk rock festivals. So, uh, you know, there aren't many bands that, like can do that, like play like a metal fest and a punk fest and, you know, something maybe a bit more, um, uh, high art. Yeah. Like, like indie like, Rocky kind of thing too. Yeah. Like, uh, and I won't, you know, yeah. Like something like, you know, play in the park in Paris, Yeah, kind of, you yeah. know, like, uh, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's pretty cool that we can, we can hop around like that. And, and people give us a lot of respect, which is really great. Um, you know, our peers give us a lot of respect and that's, that's important because, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be a part of the club, mm-hmm. you know? Well, this, as I said, has been absolutely phenomenal. And I want to thank you once again for putting up with the technology failures on on technology's end and for coming on the show. Damien, they're trying to censor us. Okay? <laughs> I, I tell you, they, they want to keep us down. And we I, are too, we're too dangerous. We're too lethal. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to shut us down, man. So I'm glad that, that we persevered and, and that this, uh, we made this happen and I'd be happy to come back on your show. Thank you, Danita, for coming on the show. And I told you she's going to be back for a part two. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, oh, I was so, so amped that I got to do that. That is a, that's how we do this thing, you know? And, and thanks to Tristan for booking that. And thanks to you for listening to it because that's why we do it. You know, Tristan and I have a lot of fun scheming these things up. 
But, uh, you know, anticipating people's reaction is, is really what we, makes us most excited. So thank you for checking that out as well. Speaking of being excited about you checking something out, next week on the show, it's a big one. Next week on the show, Biff Naked. That's right. Canadian music icon. Uh, future, I, I, I'm pretty sure she's not in it yet, but she definitely will be. Canadian music hall of famer. Uh, someone that, yeah, had a, a massive, massive impact on me as a young person, on a lot of people as a young person. Lauren was pretty starstruck. I, I'm like, you never guess who's going to come over to the house to record a podcast. And she's like, who? And I'm like, Biff Naked. And she was like, what? You know, I think she was expecting me to say something uh, far less as impressive um, because this is someone we've wanted to have on the show forever. Once again, thank you to Tristan for kind of finally making it happen. This is someone I've reached out to multiple times to try and get to come on the show and it just never came together. So Tristan made it happen. Biff made it happen. Uh, this is a fun conversation. This is a conversation with someone who, you know, is a legitimate Canadian pop star, but at the same time also is legit Canadian punk icon playing in a bunch of bands. Uh, we will get into it all next week on the show. Oh, I'm stoked for you to hear this one. Uh, but that's it. That's all I got time for this week on the show. Uh, thank you very much again to Danita. Thank you very much again to Tristan. Thank you very much again to Vans. Thank you very much again to the Patreons. Thank you very much again to you. Uh, uh, and that's it. Uh, go out there and uh, sign your organ donor cards. Make your own culture because anyone can do this shit. And that's it. I will see you next episode with Biff Naked. I can't believe I get to say that. All right. That's it. Thank you. Bye.